Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mama Wears Athleisure. I am your host, Mariella de Santiago, a first-time mom. We focus on all things mom with tips to help make life easier and more organized for all you mamas out there. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about colic. We have Megan from The Colic Nurse. And we are going to answer those burning questions about what is colic? How do you know if your baby has it? All of the details. My name is Megan Dishman. I am an ER nurse in Salt Lake City, Utah. I had a daughter in 2021 who was very colicky. And I felt really well prepared going into postpartum. I was an ER nurse. I had worked at a children's hospital in an infant unit before I ever had a kid. I felt like I was going into it like this is going to be so easy and great and newborn snuggles. And then we very quickly realized that my daughter had her own plans for our postpartum experience. She just screamed all the time. No matter what we did, we usually got about three hours of sleep a night total. And she screamed just endlessly, no matter with despite all the tricks that we tried and Googled and things like that, we saw multiple pediatricians and it was so hard. It was low key traumatizing for us. We definitely were so sleep deprived and delirious. And then once I came out of that postpartum experience and it, it resolved for her around four months, I was like, oh my goodness, like moms need help. <laughs> and especially moms who have babies with colic, parents who have babies with colic need help overall. And so that's kind of where the colic nurse evolved. I, I started this Instagram as a resource for moms who have nowhere else to turn because at least when I was postpartum, when I had a baby, I remember sitting nap trapped, looking, Googling, searching on my Instagram. Like, is there someone called the colic nurse? Because I could use them right now. And there's nothing, there was zero resources. So I mean, it might both become a resource (laughs) for them. I love that. And you made such a good point that yes, the postpartum stage is so hard. And of course, little ones have like their own plans. doesn't matter how much we (laughs) think that we plan. They definitely test us right off the bat. But (laughs) I feel like a lot of parents are probably just as curious as I am. We hear this word colic. I personally am not very familiar other than the fact that like, I just think of kids that have tummy issues or are very gassy and can't sleep and have a hard time with just their everyday functioning and scream a lot. So (laughs) I'm going to ask you, what is colic? So colic is officially, we use what's called Wessel's criteria to define it. And that was coined back in the 1950s. So it's defined by babies who are crying three or more hours a day, at least three days a week for at least three weeks. And that's like the bare minimum. Really colic is a catch-all term. It's like nothing else is physically or medically wrong with your kid. We have no idea why they're screaming. We're going to call it colic. And it's so it kind of just falls into this term. It's really more of a symptom than a diagnosis, but it's something we usually see resolved by around four or five months. And we just don't know why as a scientific community, we have a lot of really good theories. We have a lot more data coming out recently on it, but it really is just kind of this catch all term. I like that you really mentioned the fact that we are starting to learn more about it as of right now with the information that is out there. What do they say is the main cause, if there is even a main cause? So the most convincing theories that we have right now have to do with something called gut dysbiosis. So all of us have bacteria in our gut, and ideally it's a lot of good bacteria that's helpful for digestion. When babies are first born, those colonies are still forming, they're still growing. And for some babies, they just do not have enough 
good bacteria. And that's why we think they have a lot of these symptoms of colic. We also believe that these babies have a lot more inflammation in their bellies. We can see that in something called fecal calprotectin that we see in their stool samples of colicky babies. And so we know that they have a lot more irritation, inflammation, and just not the right balance of bacteria in their gut. So then how do you get rid of it? And I just kind of think about like what I see out there. You see like the gripe water and you see these like the gas drops. So what is like a way to get rid of it? I don't even know if these are legitimate things that help. So (laughs) you tell me. Well, yeah, it's such a balance because as you know, with the postpartum world, there are so many things marketed to tired parents at really high costs and they promise results and things like that. So we know from data that gas drops do not improve symptoms of colic. So that is one I wouldn't spend your money on. I wouldn't waste it on. We do know that if babies are placed on a probiotic containing the species lactobacillus ruteri for 21 days or containing the species bifidobacterium, that they have an improvement in crying time. So less crying overall by 21 days. Nothing is a magical cure for colic. So if anyone's advertising, this will magically cure your colic. Red flag, don't buy it. We also know that, and I always hesitate to share this. I say this with a grain of salt. But there are studies showing that if moms who are breastfeeding go on a low allergen diet, that that also reduces baby symptoms. So reduces crying time. I would never recommend doing this on your own and just completely slashing your diet on your own. But with your doctor, with your pediatrician deciding together, let's try pulling out a few foods, especially things like dairy and soy, pulling those out of your diet and trying a lot of times that reduces symptoms of colic. And then if your baby is formula fed, switching to an extensively hydrolyzed formula, something like Neutramogen has also been shown to reduce crying time. Hi, everyone. It's your host, Mariella. I wanted to thank you for listening and share some ways to show your continued support. You can rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Share the show with friends and family. Buy me a coffee to help with the financial costs of running a podcast. Follow me on Instagram at MamaWearsAtLeisure. And finally, subscribe to my newsletter. Thank you for listening. So I know that you gave us a definition as far as what is considered colic, but for a mom that thinks that their baby's crying all the time because what mom doesn't right after they come home from the hospital and haven't slept in days, how do you know if your baby has colic? Like what are some signs where you're like, oh yes, this is definitely, or you're maybe on the verge and if you happen to know this about what percentage of babies do end up having colic? Yeah. So I think the big thing that you're watching for is that these babies are inconsolable. So babies, normal newborn babies cry around two hours a day. That's a normal amount that and less. And so for normal babies, if you change your diaper, if you feed them, if you get them to bed within their sleepy cues and things like that, within those wake windows, they will respond. If you hold them, rock them, the baby stops crying. With colic, they are inconsolable. You can try every trick in the book and they will still keep screaming. With colic as well, you usually see it worse in the evening. This is what those witching hours talk about. So usually worse in the evening. One of the things we try to distinguish it from is reflex as well. A lot of parents get confused between colic and reflex. And reflex, usually we see worse right after feeds or when baby is laying down. With colic, those things don't really impact it. And then usually it's about 20% of babies that have colic is what we're seeing right now. It's kind of a tricky thing to 
get accurate reporting on because we think a lot of parents, if they've had one colicky baby, they don't necessarily tell their pediatrician about it for future babies, or they just cope with it better for future babies. Uh, but right now we think it's around 20%. Wow, that's pretty high. I it's think. a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, that's like one out of every five. <laughs> yeah. So one out of every five families go home with a baby and and are having a really hard time without support and resources. Well, how long does it normally last? Usually it resolves on its own around four to five months of age. And that's one of the things we try to watch for in research is what else is happening to baby around this time period that would cause them to suddenly grow out of it. And one of those things is a lot of those colonies of bacteria really start maturing around that time. So it kind of everything's pointing toward the gut with colic. Well, my last question, do you have any other tips, suggestions, or recommendations? Yes. My first thing I always tell parents is if you have a colicky baby, you call in the troops. You don't suffer at home with this by yourself. This is too much for one or even two parents to handle by themselves. So this is if someone says they're offering, I'd love to come help. Tell us if you need anything. You say, awesome. Great. You are scheduled tomorrow night. You can come over for five hours in the middle of the night and help because you really do just need all hands on deck. Second, I love parents to look up what's called crisis nurseries. Most states in the United States have something called a crisis nursery where it's a free service provided by the government for parents who are hitting the end of their rope. Whether that's they need to get to a job interview or a medical appointment and they don't have childcare or they really just cannot handle babies crying anymore. Just having that in the back of your head as a resource is so important so that you know that you are not stuck if you just can't handle it anymore. So crisis nurseries. Second is getting on, getting baby on those probiotics we talked about, lactobacillus, ruteri, or something with bifidobacterium. And then third is something I like to recommend called postpartum doulas. They are, and I'm sure you've heard of this too, but women who specialize in newborns, in general newborn care. If you are going to spend money postpartum, on anything, do it on postpartum doulas, do it on support systems like that so that you can get through this four to five month space and have that support on hand. Yeah. I always say if I think next round, I would definitely invest <laughs> in having a postpartum doula because having somebody that's able to provide all those su different supports, whether it's like making a meal for you or holding the baby while you nap, such a difference. And in this case, yeah, if baby is crying a lot, like you're going to need sleep at some point. So take advantage of it, especially if you're paying for the service. Right. If you're going to spend your money, spend it on that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I love this. I love all the information that you shared and giving us all the background, especially with what's going on with the data and the science on it right now, and that there's still a lot being researched. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for our next episode. You can find us on Instagram for more updates and tips. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review if you like us.